This is Leewood Online, a ministry of Leewood Baptist Church, located in the Kansas City area. For more information about us, visit us online at www.leewoodbaptist.com. So I like Philippians chapter 2, because it's a great verse on unity in the church, but also humility. And in chapter 2, he said, the Apostle Paul writes to the church, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, esteem others better than yourselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And let this attitude be in you that was also in Jesus Christ. I tell you, we'd all do well to, uh, to, to remember that we're to esteem others better than our own selves and walk in humility and keep a right attitude in all that we do, the attitude of Jesus Christ. Well, why do I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in an equal amount of those others I just shared? Well, I believe it's God's Word telling us that He will guide our lives. If we will follow these simple and true directives, we, when the world is falling apart, can find resolve because we will lean into God and discover if we'll follow those things of trusting in Him and leaning not into our own ideas, acknowledging Him in all of our ways, then He will make our path straight and we can walk in, in, in the path that He has for us. So faith, hope, and consolation by simply trusting in God. Well, let me give you a little context of what's going on here in this wisdom literature in Proverbs chapter 3. These verses were written 3,000 years ago by uh, the, uh, the wisest man who ever lived, wealthiest man who ever lived as well, King Solomon. And so he is, is telling us here that we have some... Uh, we have some words from the Lord that will make a difference in our life if we will simply follow these words. And we read about God's leadership. And so here's what I'm saying today. Here we find ourselves amidst of this COVID thing that will not go away, that seems to be unrelenting. And we've had the largest gap in gathered worship in the history of Christendom. And now churches are still not meeting. I, 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 before I came to be the interim here, I was at, uh, at Connection Point, First Baptist Raytown, uh, for several months. And this is the third Sunday in a row that they're, they're still not meeting because the st- so many on the staff have gotten COVID and their families and, and the extended families. And, and so it's still not safe for the church to come together again. These are rare days. And all I'm saying is when we find ourselves in difficult times, then what we need to do is not just logically think, what do I need to do? But ask ourselves the question, God, what do you want me to do? What do you desire for me to do? Help me with these decisions and help me stay in the center of your will. So let's look together as we kind of unpack these truths today. I'm calling it God's direction for our lives. And he begins here in verse 5 by saying, it'll always begin with a devotion of the heart. So if you and I want to find God's will and we want to walk in God's will, it'll be done as we have a personal trust in Him. We call this personal trust, of course, faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things not yet seen. 
that we have, this is the, the word there is the t- a title deed. We have a title deed to what we believe if we simply believe in the unseen things of God. Trust in the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our heart. So the commitment that God expects of us is not a half-hearted commitment. He says this is a wholehearted deal, an all-encompassing trust. Not at believing that God has the answer, but a trust that God is the answer. I think God has little patience with people who are always plagued with doubts and indifference. You know, uh, just before I came, we were looking at the book of James, preaching through the book of James here at Leewood Baptist. You remember chapter 1? Here's what James says. He who doubts is like a wave to the sea. He's tossed to and fro. Don't think that man will receive anything because he's unstable. He's double-souled is literally what it's saying there, and he's unstable in all of his ways. So, so the person who is plagued with doubt, indeed, is always in a dilemma. But I'm telling you, what God expects of us is not to live in doubt, but to simply trust in the Lord with all of our heart. In Revelation chapter 3, we know about the church of Laodicea. God declares, here's your problem, church. You're lukewarm. You're not hot. You're not cold. And it makes me want to vomit you out of my mouth. And so what did he do? He called that first century church to repent, return to him with their whole hearts, with a fresh passion, with a fresh commitment. And remember he said in chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at your heart's door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and will open the door to their hearts, I'll come into him and I'll sup with him. I'll fellowship with him and him with me. Do you realize over a hundred times in the book of Proverbs, we read about the heart. The first five verses of chapter 3, some five times the heart is mentioned. So when we talk about the heart, we're talking about really the epicenter of our where we make our decisions, our mind, will, and emotions. It's where we determine our plans. It's where we determine our pursuits and certainly where we make our priorities. So it's not surprising you read this familiar verse in the very next chapter where God's Word says you better guard your heart with all diligence for out of your heart comes the issues of life. And I'm telling you today, a devoted heart is a guarded heart guarded from anything and everything that's contrary to God's will and God's way. The Bible says, now there's no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. God's faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted above that you're able, but with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. How are you going to stand against temptation? I'm telling you with a whole heart. In Galatians chapter 5, as you know, Paul mentions the fruit of the Spirit. Before he mentions the fruit of the Spirit, he mentions the works of the flesh. He said things like sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, drunkenness, hatred, selfish ambition, jealousy, and anger. And here's what I know. A heart that's devoted to God says no to all of these immoral temptations, but it says yes as well to God's good and godly instructions. You know, I think oftentimes we need to hear the prayer of the psalmist and pray it as well to search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. Then lead me in the way everlasting. I'm telling you, if your heart is guarded, it will then and only then be guided by God. A devoted heart, a consecrated heart will keep you from being overcome and overwhelmed by your problems. 
And I'm telling you, life has always been difficult. But I'm telling you, I don't, I don't remember seeing so many issues and problems and, 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 and heartaches and all of the things that, that we, we, we so desire to shun. And I'm simply standing in the pulpit today to, t- to tell you simply that God is the resolve. He's the problem solver. He's the way maker. He's the overcomer. Someone said, you either have problems or your problems have you. But Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulations, but take heart. Take heart. I've overcome the world. You know, you study the Gospels. Every miracle Jesus did was with someone who was overwhelmed and overcome with problems. I think about blind Bartimaeus, the woman with the issue of blood for 38 years, or those 500 hungry people who had no food, or promiscuous woman at the well of Sychar. And as surely as he met them at the point of their need, I'm telling you today it's the same God who will meet you at the point of your need. We used to sing an old 19th century hymn that says, There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. None else could heal all souls' diseases. No, not one. No, not one. Jesus knows all about your struggles. He will guide you till the day is done. He, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. And I'm simply telling you today, he'll be your friend, and he'll guide you in your life. But if you want to be guided by him, you have to as well guard your heart. So the first step in being all that God desires for you to be and doing all God desires for you to do is having a devoted heart. I wonder, does your heart belong to God? Does he have your whole heart? Man, I thought about that passage in Mark chapter 9. Where the disciples had been on the Mount of Transfiguration, they come down from the mountain. And this man brings his son to the disciples, but they can't cast out this, this boy who was convulsing and seemed to have a, spirit, a demonic spirit. And Jesus steps up and intervenes. And there was this convulsing boy. And uh, Jesus asked, how long has he been doing this? And he said, well, it's been ever since he was a child. And his father said, well, can you do anything? And Jesus said, can I do anything? All things are possible. All things are possible to those who believe. And you remember what the man said? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe that, but, but there's a side of me that, that still doesn't believe. And can I tell you today, that's where most of us live. And if we never hear the word of God proclaimed, we never come to God's house and fellowship with God's people, we never hear once again the truths of the word of God. We'll live in doubt. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do you have a devoted heart? Secondly, let me move quickly. It's also required that the text says that we're to not only trust in the Lord with all our heart, but not lean into our own understanding. Leaning to our own understanding. We don't live by conventional wisdom. We don't live by philosophy or ideologies of this world. And that's a tension that always exists in the life of a believer. Because we live in this world, but we're, not to, we're to be of this world, but not, we're not to be a part of this world. And the question becomes, will we take the high road and walk by faith? 
Will we make decisions relative to the precepts and principles found in the Word of God? Are we, are, do we give a listening ear to the noise and the nonsense that's so prevalent in the world in which we live? Listen, we have to adopt a Christian worldview where we defer our personal biases and our own tendons and our beings to God's inerrant word, or else we will fall prey to secular, secularism, hedonism, humanism, political correctness, and pluralistic compromise. You can lump it all together. It's what the world is about. And here the book of Proverbs The same verse we read uh, in chapter 14 and chapter 16. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Oh, there's a way that will seem right unto man, but the end thereof is the way of death. I know many of you listen to Christian radio and uh, certainly aware that one of the great Christian apologists passed away in the past few months, Robbie Zacharias. And Robbie argued tirelessly for her coherent worldview. The worldview answers satisfactorily. He, he would use four questions. Origin, meaning of life, morality, and destiny. And so while all religions make claims about those truths, the Christian faith is unique in the ability to answer all of these questions which develops a cohesive worldview. Let's touch on those things. First, the question of origin. What do we believe about the origin of mankind? That we've been created in the image of God. Male and female, He created us. And we, even though He created the world around us, we are the crowning work of God's creation. And I'm simply telling you, we cannot believe the lie that we evolved from apes or monkeys but we have been created by the hand of God. We didn't come from a big bang where a speck of protoplasm became uh, multicelled, and that multicell thing became a living being. I th- it takes more faith to believe that than it does that God created mankind. But I'm telling you, we start there that God is the origin of who we are. He created us. In his great love. But the origin as well gives our life meaning. We have purpose. We are uniquely gifted by God for a, a cause, a reason to live bigger than ourselves. Giving and living our lives as children of God, and we have a purpose in all of this. Things aren't just circumstantial. The sovereign hand of God is guiding us all, and He has a purpose for us. We're gifted. We're uniquely spiritually given the gift of the Holy Spirit to fit together to accomplish things we could never accomplish. It's about accomplishing the will of God and and God giving our life meaning. The third thing he he touches on here is morality. As Christians, we embrace God's Word, that there is a right and there is a wrong. And this right and wrong, certainly we have a conscience that convicts us of right and wrong, but, but it's not that subjective. Sometimes our conscience will lie on us. The Bible uh, declares and defines for us these moral tenets that we believe, that there is right and there is wrong. And so uh, we, we believe the, what the Ten Commandments say. We believe what God's Word 
uh, teaches throughout the pages of God's Word about immorality, and it will not go unpunished, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and that we are people that know without God's grace and mercy, we cannot do enough good things to get in right relationship with Him, not by works of righteousness we've done, but according to His mercy, He saves us, but still He calls us to right belief. He empowers us through the person of the Holy Spirit. Then that fourth platform or that fourth, fourth board in the platform, really, is that of destiny. Where are our lives taking us? Where does the path that we're on end up? Where is its destiny? Oh, listen today. Part of the good news is the gospel is that we come together and said, God's taking us somewhere. He, we're, we're living our lives here in an abundant way because we know the grace and mercy of God. It helps us relate to other people and behave in a right way. But there is a destiny, a place called heaven, an inheritance, the Bible says. It's incomparable, undefiled. It does not fade away. It's reserved in heaven by you, kept by the power of God through faith and salvation, ready to be revealed in the last days. You see, we're not just a bunch of people doing our own thing. We're not making decisions based on human logic or rationale or secular psychology. No, we're walking by faith. We're trusting in the Lord with all of our heart. And we're not simply leaning into our own understanding because there's a way that seems right. But the end thereof will be the way of death unless we go God's way. Well, I quit with this. Not only do we see the devotion of the heart and the discernment of the mind, but thoroughly, it becomes to really uh, uh, the, the critical piece of this puzzle, and that is the determination of your will. A determination of the will. We're to acknowledge Him in all of our ways. In all of our ways. So with the devotion of the heart, a mind fixed upon God, it has a result. It manifests itself in a determined will. A loving and lasting commitment that is not passive, but active and aggressively and willfully and volitionally chooses God's way. In other words, we don't compartmentalize our lives, but with determination and dedication ongoingly by an act of the will, we submit our lives to the Holy Spirit of God guiding our lives, and we have to choose to do that. Choose you this day. Remember what Joshua said in Joshua 24? They were about to occupy the promised land. And you had some defaulters and those of little faith on the other side. But Joshua said, choose you this day whom you'll serve. Whether the gods which are the fathers served that were on the other side of the river, the gods of the Amorite, in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we're going God's way. We choose to serve the Lord. And you know, when we make a determination of the will, it'll affect every area, every aspect of our life. When you go God's way, let me tell you, it will shape your character. You will never be morally all you need to be. You'll never have the integrity that you need to have without going God's way. And you choosing God's way will shape your character. I'll tell you, it'll, it'll change your conversation as well. The things that you talk about, the things that are important to you, the way you converse with other people, can I tell you, it's directed by you willingly choosing God's way. It'll change your character. It'll change your conversation. It'll change your commitments. And it'll change your cause. 
it will give you purpose and meaning if you will continually say, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I thought of three things I want to touch on that certainly choosing God's way is evident in our life. The first is relative under A, or, or, or number one. I'm not sure how we have it, but to that of worship, to that of worship. We read the first command of given to Moses on Mount Sinai, and God says this, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. We shall have no other gods before our God. Not if he's directing our life. Not if we're volitionally choosing him. He, he's number one in our life. We, we worship him as we ought with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm just telling you today, everybody worships something or someone. Man, during the lockdown, there was so little of television. It had nothing uh, uh, that was live. Everything was, uh, uh, was watching something that had been pre-recorded, and, and all the, uh, the sporting events were, were certainly redone. And, and uh, I don't know if you watched any of that or not, but one of the things that kind of caught everyone's attention was a documentary about Michael Jordan called Last Dance. It was about his incredible story and his great domination over the NBA the 15 years that he was in the NBA. During those years, and many of you will remember, if you're much of a sports fan, of how big, how big a persona, how big a personality that Michael Jordan was. You know, uh, if, you, if, if your kids didn't have Air Jordans, I'm telling you, they were nothing. They were outcasts. Everybody had to have some Air Jordans. Everybody on the basketball team, the best player always got number 23 because Jordan wore 23. And so, so kids wanted to be like Mike. When they drove the lane, they always had their tongue sticking out because that's what he did. They wanted to be like Mike. And I'm simply telling you that endeared people to him to emulate him. And it works that way in our life. We become like who we worship or what we worship. And if our heart belongs to God and we truly fall in love with the Savior, we'll want to be like Jesus. We'll want to continually check our own behavior, our own conversation, our own attitudes, and say, how do I line up for crying out loud? The God who loved me, the Savior who gave himself, for me. I'm just telling you today, anything you love more than God is idolatry. And Satan has plenty of substitutes that will certainly, quite frankly, take you away. They don't have to be bad things, just other things. Sometimes it's leisure, sometimes it's sports, sometimes it's hunting and fishing, sometimes it seems to be trite. But anything that moves our heart away from God and we treasure a little more than him, the Bible calls idolatry. That is surely why he's saying that we've got to acknowledge him in all of our ways, not some of our ways, in all of our ways. First, it affects our worship. I'll, I'll move quickly. Secondly, it affects our work. When we acknowledge God in all of our ways, it's certainly more than a Sunday commitment. It 
affects our vocation, our a vocation, our responsibilities in the workplace. It will affect how we manage people. And it will affect how we relate to those who manage us. Because we'll be people of integrity and honesty and fairness and goodwill. Listen, I'll tell you, the guy who hires a Christian ought to be the happiest guy on the block. The Bible has so much to say about laziness and slothfulness. And our work ethic should be better than all the rest. Because we've got a devotion to Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, do heartily, the Bible says, as to the Lord and not to man. We're working for the Lord, for crying out loud. And we're acknowledging God in all of our ways. Yes, our worship will be different, but I'm telling you, our work will be better too. And finally, concludes with this, because really it's right here in the text. You go on down to verses 9 and 10, and it has to do with your wealth. Look at verse 9. Honor the Lord with your money, the first fruits of your increase, and then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your presses will burst out with new wine. Honor the Lord, the King James says, with your substance with what you have, with what you've been entrusted to. And I'm simply telling you this, if, if we acknowledge God in all of our ways, part of all of those ways are what we do with our giving, with our tithes. And the verse here is saying we honor God by giving with our possessions, our money. And then it reminds us, secondly, it's not just about money. It's really because He wants our best. Honor the Lord with your money, and, and then he uses that phrase, the first fruits of your increase. God was always calling to an agrarian culture in which we read in the Old Testament about calling for their first fruits, the first of their harvest, their best of their crops. Bring them, he said. He didn't want the leftovers. He never has, has wanted the leftovers. He's always wanted our best. And here he's saying it'll be the first fruits. It belongs to me. Give God your best. Give Him your finances. Give Him your heart. And then He says there'll be reward for this. Your barns will be filled with plenty and your presses will burst out with new wine. It, it's as Jesus said, give and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Whatever measure you give away, you get back. Because it's the law of harvest. It's the law of echoes. It's the law of likeness. It's a law of reciprocation. You keep giving it away, you'll keep getting it back. Be not deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatsoever man sows, he also shall reap. You sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruptions. But if you'll sow to the Spirit, you'll reap life everlasting. You want God in your life? You want Him to lead your life? This is really a simple solution. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways. And know this, you will walk that straight and narrow path that leads to life that only a few will find. Go for God. Live your life for Him. Would you bow your heads with me today? Lord, help us. Help us to follow these simple yet divine instructions that we have from you. And Lord, we know our tendency is to be selfish, not to simply 
turn to you with a believing heart. But to create scenarios we don't want and find ourselves obsessing on worry. But help us to be men and women of faith. Help us to have great hope. Not hope in an election that our candidate might win and things will be certainly better. But a hope in the sovereign God who desires to order our life according to His perfect will and way. And so today we gather as a community of faith to say once again, have your will, O Lord, that we are your people. We're the sheep of your pasture. And so, Lord, help us to be people who believe. Help our unbelief. Help us to feed and nurture our soul. Help us to stand strong when a world around us goes to hell. Help us to sow gospel seeds. Help us to keep believing you for the salvation of those we love. Help us to do our best as we long to hear, well done, you've been a good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Thank you, we have a destiny that you've prepared a place for those who love you, who long for your appearance. So we acknowledge our faith today. Thank you for the privilege of standing once again to say, Thus saith the Lord. I pray especially for those that are here. Keep us strong in you. That our lives would be marked differently because of the touch of grace that you've poured out upon us. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us online. Leeward Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. For more information about us and our ministry, please visit us at www.leewoodbaptist.com.